Um, we are very happy and excited to have uh, Pastor Rosenberg here and his wife, Karen. Uh, I really enjoyed their participation in our Sabbath school this morning. Um, as many of you know, we're trying to do something different uh, for our evangelism this year. And so uh, when uh, Bernard told me about this Islam and Christianity ministry, I really haven't heard much about it at all. And so um, I looked a little bit online into the presentations. Wow, I was so fascinated. And I'm very interested uh, to hear how Brother Rosenberg presents these uh, prophecies to us. Um, let me ask you a question. Is the Bible an outdated book? No, it's very much contemporary. It's very much for our times. And so the Bible tells us up until the end of time these different prophecies that will be taking place. So I'm very excited about this uh, series that we're going to be doing uh, in March, at the end of March. And I want to encourage, continue to encourage you to tell your friends and your families about this ministry. But he's going to be here today. Uh, sharing uh, the word with us and sharing uh, a little bit about the ministry. And uh, he's coming from Idaho, from the Idaho Conference. Uh, close, He lives close to Boise, Idaho. He's been doing this for about nine years. Uh, and so uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, we're, we're very excited to have you here. And I'll just give the floor to him. Hey, it is good to be with you. I've discovered last night that we have some mutual friends. I have had some neighbors in Arkansas for six years, Wes and Lou Nash. <laughs> and they were not just my neighbors, they were also members of our church. He was our head deacon. Uh, he had a brother there, Leo, and a sister there, Dana. And his mom and dad came. I got to know a lot of the family. And I was so happy to hear last night that Brian comes here and preaches once in a while. I just love young people that I worked with when I see them actively involved with the Lord. I just, uh, this week, was attending a pastor's meeting in Idaho, and uh, one of the pastors that let out in a lot of the music was once a, uh, I said almost said student, but he was a student and as one of my members at Gentry, Arkansas, and the guest speaker that they brought in from Andrews working for the North American Division was once a kid I worked with as one of my members. I just love seeing people taking a stand and active for God. And so kind of made my day last night when I heard Brian comes here every once in a while to preach. So today we're going to be looking at the good news, Jesus is coming, Daniel 11 says so. You have figured out we live in a crazy world, I'm sure. You have noticed that, right? But you don't need to be concerned because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in him, and he's coming again. And Daniel 11 tells me more about that than any other prophecy in the Bible. Now, the problem of it is, don't tell me, there it goes. Problem is, we've ignored Daniel 11. I mean, we really have. If you've gone to Adventist schools, and gone to the Adventist Evangelistic Series, you're going to hear about Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9. And they don't mention 10, 11, 12 much at all. And if you ask questions, please don't ask questions. We're not quite so sure. Uh, that's basically the way it goes. 
we're going to be talking about Daniel 11. This afternoon, I'm going to show you the different viewpoints on Daniel 11 in the Adventist Church, but I'm going to be sharing with you the one that is growing in support and in people that are presenting it, all right? And it is really, really fitting what's going not only today in the world, but through history, it fits perfectly. Now, so, I don't know what's happening. Hey, plug it in on the opposite side of the computer. We'll get the computer thinking differently. Okay. <laughs> ah, now it's, there we go. You know Daniel 2 and 7, right? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome with the little horn. That's Daniel 2 and 7. That's standard material. Now, if you know Daniel 2 and 7, that material, you know who the king of the north is all the way through Daniel 11. Because every one of these powers invades or occupies Israel from the north. They are the different phases of the king of the north. Now, why is it going back and forth? Babylon is way east. How is it a king of the north? Jeremiah 1 calls it a king of the north because it will enter Israel and Jerusalem from the north. If you're in Israel, the Babylonians attack you from the north. You see, there's a desert in here. There's water over here. Which way will Israel be invaded by land armies? Either north or south. Now you know the simple reason there's a king of the north and a king of the south in Daniel chapter 11. The Medes and the Persians, who Jeremiah also calls an assembly of great nations from the north because they come in from the north. Then the Greeks come in from the north. And then the Greek empire splits four ways, but Daniel only cares about two, north and south. Seleucid up here, Ptolemy down here, they fight back and forth for centuries. And guess who gets caught in the middle? God's people, right? His Israel. Do you know who the new covenant is with? With Israel. And in Ephesians 2, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become an Israelite. Guess where you're going to get caught? Yeah, right in the middle, right along with them. Okay, and then the Romans come in from the north. Then the Roman Empire breaks up ten ways, but Daniel only cares about two in chapter 11, north and south. And, uh, well, I got ahead of myself there. Daniel, when the Romans come in, that's in verses 20 to 22. And with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And in a flood of emotion, the leaders of Israel said, we have no king but Caesar. And Jesus, the prince of the covenant, was broken for your sins and mine. Let me just tell you this. It was expanded in Daniel chapter 9, and it's all about Jesus. If you knew everything there was to know about Bible prophecy and you didn't know Jesus, would there be a problem? Huge problem. Jesus would come back and said, who are you? Yeah. So what if you only knew Jesus, but you had a good relationship with him? And Jesus comes back and says, welcome home, child. Would that be okay? Yeah. But the best thing is to know Jesus and prophecy. Why? Because prophecy tells you that we're almost there. 
And it tells you that even though the world's going crazy, God hasn't lost control. He's still able to pull this out. All right? Now, the Roman Empire splits, as I said, 10 ways. The northern part goes Christian, the southern part goes Islamic, and what city just happens to get caught in the middle? Jerusalem. Hmm. Jerusalem gets caught in the middle, as it still is to this very day. So what I'm presenting to you, that Daniel 11 continues to be, whoops, sorry, literal or geopolitical, all the way through, but at the time of the cross, or time of Jesus, he talked about the fall of Jerusalem. That was a literal fall, wasn't it? But he also applied it to his people of faith all over the world. So there was a localized literal fulfillment, and there was a globalized religious fulfillment. Watch how that fits. It fits from the time of Jesus all the way on. All the place names have both the literal and the globalized. The Sabbath is the day of worship for an Israelite, right? Even an Israelite of faith, the new covenant, God will write his law in our hearts and in our minds. It should include the Sabbath since it's part of it, right? But the king of the north didn't want to be called Israelite or Jewish, so he changed the day of worship from Sabbath to the king of the south didn't want to be called Israelite or Jewish, so he changed the day of worship from Sabbath to? Hey, can anybody tell me where God's Sabbath keepers just got caught? In Jerusalem or all over the world? You see, if you go to the Philippines, the Catholics control the northern islands, the Muslims the southern islands, and where can a Sabbath keeper get in trouble? Anywhere. Anywhere and everywhere, yeah. I was in Nigeria speaking up in Boko Haram territory. Anybody ever heard of Boko Haram? It's a radical Muslim group. They like to kill people. Uh, and so we, they had men with machine guns standing in the doors as we presented. And uh, the northern part there is controlled by the Muslims and the southern part by the Christians. And where can a Sabbath keeper get in trouble? Everywhere. That's the way it is, folks. Have you ever heard that someday the Sabbath will be a sign of which side you're on? I would just tell you the wake up, it already is. If you're waiting for it to become a sign, do you now see how you could sleep too long? It already is. You see, you can read the Quran through. You will not find one verse that says the worship on Friday. It speaks favorably of the Sabbath. You can read the New Testament through. You will not find one verse that speaks favorably of Sunday. It speaks favorably of the Sabbath. You see, both Friday and Sunday are human traditions. And the only thing that's supported by Scripture is the Sabbath. It's already a sign if you're following somebody else or God. And it's a worldwide sign, folks, already. Well, there are three conflicts in Daniel 11, between the north and the south after the cross and the breakup of Rome. Just like in Revelation, there are how many woes? Three. Those are Islam and Christianity woes. <laughs> Islam and Christianity conflicts in Daniel. It's the same thing, folks. You have the Crusades, the Ottomans, and radical Islam at the time of the end. Some people say, oh, Tim, 
Do the Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Do not answer that with a yes or a no. Here's why. Jesus said that his true disciples would love their enemies and do good to those who persecuted them. Right? By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So let's just go back to the Crusades. Was it the jihadists or the Crusaders that actually loved the other side? (laughs) Neither, right? So here's my answer. There are many Christians and many Muslims who are worshiping the same false god of force, fear, and anger. Do it our way or else. Think of the Inquisition and all those things. There are some Christians and some Muslims who have either found or in search of the same true God of love, truth, peace, and forgiveness. And in Daniel 11, God pulls a remnant out of both Islam and Christianity that come together to follow Jesus in the Bible and proclaim the loud cry together. That's an amazing piece of Daniel 11, and that's applying to our time right now. Now, you can graph this out. There you have Arab Islam and the Crusades, second conflict, the Ottoman conflict, and then the time of the end one. Let's go and read the time of the end conflict. Boy, did I just skip a lot of material. We're all the way down to Daniel 1140 already. Um, This afternoon, I will hand out a verse-by-verse study guide. At least I think I have them in my bag. Pretty sure I do. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. If I'm right, that's Islam pushing or attacking the king of the north. And the king of the north, papal-led Christianity, shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through relatively fast. The first two conflicts took centuries each. The last one won't. By the way, do I know how long a prophetic whirlwind is? No, I don't. It's just going to be a lot shorter than the first two. All right. He, the king of the north, shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries. By the way, that's eastern Jordan. And the land of Egypt (coughs) shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also, the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Notice, he is naming place names. And he's given a whole bunch of them right at the end. At the beginning of it, when he said Persia, he meant Persia. When he said Greece, he meant Greece. Every place in the entire book of Daniel, outside of Daniel 11, 40 to 43, every time he uses a place name, he actually means that place. And if he means place names literally in every verse outside of these three verses, you better have some good information if you want to change these to symbolic. Because it would be totally contradictory to everything else he's ever done. And so I'm going to take them literally, but with a globalized application, just like Israel and everything else from the time of the cross. By the way, when Jesus gave that application, he linked it to Daniel in Matthew 24. That's the way they interpret Daniel. Okay, so I'm expecting that Egypt will radicalize, literally, and it's on the verge of it right now. The last free election was won by the Muslim Brotherhood. So what do we have? 
We have radical Islam coming out of Egypt actually in the 1920s. 1948, Israel was declared a state and boy, radical Islam takes off because they have a common enemy and they get oil money and terrorism and all that kind of stuff comes on the scene. I believe Egypt and radical Islam all over the world will fall. Moderate Islam, Libya and Ethiopia will follow after the king of the north, the papacy. And there are some Christians and some Muslims, and the Muslims being Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all related to the Abrahamic family, those within the Islamic world that are truly following the Abrahamic God. Follow Jesus in the Bible, and there you have this loud cry, and then we close. So we have a time of war that gets everyone's attention, a last warning message, and Michael, Jesus, stands up and the judgment's over. If this is all true, folks, we're hanging right on the edge of the whirlwind. I think we've actually entered it. Now, in 2011, I wrote a book published by The Review and Herald. In it, I said there's a time coming when radical Islam will anger the papacy. The papacy will get angry and call for war. Papacy had not done that since the Ottoman Empire. The U.S. and their allies would become the enforcer for the papacy. That's Revelation 13. Radical Islam is overthrown. Moderate Islam follows papal-led Christianity, and some Muslims follow Jesus in the Bible. That was all future. There were signs of number six beginning when we wrote 2011. Today, those have been happening in sequential order. Let me show you. 2014, I believe Daniel 11 whirlwind began. For the first time since the Ottoman Empire, we had a caliphate. We had Arab caliphates, first conflict, first holy war, the Crusades. Ottoman caliphates, boom, we had a second holy war. Uh, The Pope called for the Holy League. And so every time you have a caliphate, you end up with a holy war called for by the Pope. A caliphate is when there is a Muslim leader that considers himself the global Muslim leader, both politically and religiously. Do you know like the Pope considers himself a political and a religious global leader? So you have the king of the north, church and state, king of the south, mosque and state. Every time you have both of them, you have a holy war. And the Pope calls for it. Well, so does the other one, but the prophecy is focusing on the King of the North calling for it in all three of them. And so 2014, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the self-proclaimed leader of the Islamic State stretching across Iraq and Syria, has vowed to lead the conquest of Rome as he called on Muslims to immigrate to his new land to fight under its banner around the globe. Okay, since he intends to take control of the globe and so does the Pope, do you see why you have a conflict every time they both come on the scene? There's not room for both of these guys on the same planet. But on day one of their caliphate, they said they were after Rome. I didn't know it was going to be so obvious. But day one, they gave their target. It was Rome. Um, The only question left is, how long would it take the Pope to call for war? He hadn't done that since the Ottoman Empire. (coughs) Do you know that he already did? August 7th. 2014, it only took him five and a half weeks. Pope Francis appealed to world leaders on Thursday to help 
in the crisis in northern Iraq after a sweeping advance by radical Islamic State militants forced thousands of residents of Iraq's biggest Christian town to flee their homes, His Holiness addressed an urgent appeal to the international community to take action to end the humanitarian tragedy now underway. He's calling for war. The very next day, Obama says America's coming to help. Remember expectation number three? The U.S. will become the military enforcer for the papacy. Pope calls for war. Obama says America is coming. Within 36 hours of the papal call for action, the United States began its attack on the Islamic State. That's pretty quick. 36 hours. And America and their allies jumped on it. That should be putting us into the third conflict. The Pope called for war and the U.S. supplied the power. You should be heading in the end time events. Then some of the media were saying, oh, the Pope didn't really mean he wanted military action. He wanted humanitarian action. (coughs) And then you have a whole bunch of papal ambassadors that come out and say, the Pope wanted war. The Holy See's ambassador to the United Nations, Silvano Tamasi, this weekend supported U.S. airstrikes aimed at halting the advance of Sunni Islamic State militants, calling for intervention now before it's too late. While the Vatican vocally disapproved of the U.S.-led campaign in Iraq in 2003 and the 2013 plan for airstrikes on Syria, fearing both might make the situation worse for Christians on the ground, fears of ethnic cleansing by Islamists has forced a policy change. In Daniel 11, it's a push from the king of the south that makes the king of the north call for war. What was the reason for the policy change? A push from the caliphate, the king of the south. Oh, But because Adventists weren't watching Daniel 11, very few of them noticed. Jihadi John started calling Obama the dog of Rome, as did the Islamic State. Why would the U.S. be the dog of Rome? Let's see. The Pope says, sick him and the U.S. bites. Pretty much the U.S. is the enforcer for Rome already, folks. Already. In an unusually blunt endorsement of military action, and this is, again, that's a Catholic news site. They don't hide from their endorsement of this one. The Vatican's top diplomat at the United Nations in Geneva has called for a coordinated international force to stop the so-called Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. (coughs) He said the joint statement originated with Russia, which traditionally sees itself as a protector of Orthodox Christians in the Middle East. Russia is has not been for years atheistic. Putin considers himself the protector of Orthodox Christianity in the Middle East. And so uh, you have this joint statement of an expanded military coalition to take out the caliphate with Russia and the Vatican. So first it's Vatican and the U.S. and their allies, then Russia and their allies. See, how much of the world follows the Beast in Revelation 13? Folks, it's happening in front of your eyes. And most sleep on. But shrewdly, methodically, and with the showman's flair of the soft-spoken 70-year-old Argentinian Jesuit priest named Pope Francis showed Thursday that he is running to become president of the planet. And the Huffington Post was ready to endorse him for it. Let's see, at the time of the Crusades, 
the world followed the Pope because they were afraid of Islam. The time of the Ottomans, the world followed the Pope because they're afraid of Islam. At the time of the end, the world will follow the Pope because they're afraid of three conflicts, three woes. It's really not that difficult, folks. And the day of worship is already a sign of which side you're on. I don't think this wave can stop, said Sonia Licht of the International Center for Global Transition. The global north must be prepared that the global south is on the move, the entire global south. This is not just a problem for Europe, but for the whole world. Wow. The south is pushing at the what? At the north. And Daniel said the south will push on the north. It's happening in so many different ways. Then we had an election in 2016. The point, uh, this is uh, now President Trump, then candidate Trump. He was asked about radical Islam. He said the point is, (coughs) they, radical Islam, want to do serious harm. We have to take them out. We have to take them out very, very swiftly and viciously if necessary. We've got to destroy the brand of jihad. When he said that, I thought, that sounds an awful lot like a whirlwind. And I'm thinking, you know, everybody thinks he can't win. But that would be the kind of character that would carry out what Daniel says. He did win. Daniel says God sets up and takes down. It doesn't mean it has to look like it's going to happen. It just does happen. Now, does that mean I'm on one of the political sides or the other? No, I consider myself an equal opportunity offender on both sides. You will catch on to that before I'm done today. Uh, No political party will save you. If you trust in politics to save you, you are going to be sorely disappointed. No one will save you. No church will save you. Only Jesus can save you. By the way, no one can save you. That includes you. Only Jesus can save you. All right? Trusting in Jesus. Well, look what he said during his inauguration. We will reinforce old alliances and form new ones and unite the civilized world against radical Islamic terrorism, which we will eradicate completely from the face of the earth. 2011, my understanding was radical Islam wiped out. Moderate Islam joins together with the Christian world to take out radical Islam. And his inauguration is just like it was out of Daniel 11. I was listening that day expecting something like that, and he said it. Where does he go on his first trip? Saudi Arabia, where the king of the south comes from. Israel, the one caught in the middle. And the Vatican, where the king of the north comes from. Three for three of Daniel 11 on his first trip. But look at his words. The visit to Saudi Arabia, he said, will include a truly historic gathering in Saudi Arabia with leaders from all across the Muslim world. We will begin to construct a new foundation of cooperation and support with our Muslim allies to combat extremism, terrorism, and violence. He's going to join together with moderate Muslims to take out radical Islam. Daniel says part of them follow the king of the north. It's exactly what Daniel describes. 
Then in 2017, he said the U.S. is going to move its embassy to Jerusalem. So, well, that means the U.S. has recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. (coughs) That's a big deal for the Muslim world. Within a week, there's a meeting in Turkey, and the Iranian Quds Force general was one of the leading speakers. Not very many people knew him then, but after this last week, a lot of people know about him. So Yemeni. So Yemeni, commander of the Al-Quds Force, says his nation is ready to support the Palestinian forces in the Gaza Strip days after the U.S. recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. That's actually a loaded paragraph. Let me unpack a couple of things for you. There's a lot of stuff in between the lines here. The Soleimani is commander of the Iranian Al-Quds Force. They are Shiite Muslims. They don't like Sunnis. The people in the Gaza Strip are Sunnis. He just supported, pledged his support to Sunnis. Oh, didn't really unpack that one there, but that's what's happening. More important thing, he's commander of the Al-Quds Force. And again, a lot of you have heard a lot more about it, but I've been watching the Al-Quds Force for a long time. Here's why. Radical Muslims are called Islamists because they want to create a Muslim world government. And they believe the capital of that Muslim world government will be in the city of Al-Quds. Now, the Al-Quds is not in Iran. Thus, the commander of the Al-Quds force is the commander of the forces of Iran that are trained and to fight and do fight outside of Iran. <coughs> I have a little catch. Something popped into the little flap in my throat. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so they're trained to fight outside of Iran, with the goal of setting up the world capital of Islam in the city of Al-Quds. Just a simple question. How many of you know where that city is? Yeah, they know. They've listened to one of my seminars. Anybody else outside my wife? Hopefully my wife knows. Karen, where is it? Al-Quds is Jerusalem. Over and over in the media, you will hear them talk about Al-Quds, you will hear them talk about Jerusalem here in the same paragraph, and they rarely ever tell you it's the same place. Look it up, find out, it's really simple. Al-Quds is Jerusalem. Let's see, if they're going to set up the world capital of Islam in Jerusalem, do you think Jerusalem might get caught in the middle? Uh, Folks, What Daniel predicted is basically unavoidable in our world today. This is not some kind of long shot. This is in-your-face reality when you see what's going on. Saudi Arabia's powerful crown prince Mohammed bin Salman has described Turkey as part of a triangle of evil along with Iran and hardline Islamist groups. Well, he's naming countries. Islamist groups, that includes... Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, the Islamic State. These are the government actors, countries. These are the non-government actors, 
they just want to set up, they all want the capital of Islam in Jerusalem. This is the triangle of evil. The Saudi prince also accused Turkey of trying to reinstate the Islamic caliphate, abolished nearly a century ago when the Ottoman Empire collapsed. (coughs) In this triangle, they are trying to promote the idea that our duty as Muslims is to reestablish the caliphate. The glory of Islam is in building an empire by force. We have no duty anymore to fight to spread Islam, but in the triangle of evil, they want to manipulate Muslims to tell them their duty as Muslims requires the establishment of a Muslim empire. I believe the Palestinians and the Israelis have the right to have their own land, but we have to have a peace agreement to assure the stability for everyone and to have normal relations. You now have a major Muslim leader that says Iran, Turkey, and the Islamists are evil. And he is friendly with Israel. He is joining with Israel and the United States to fight against the Islamist. That's exactly what Daniel describes. It's a battle to the death already. The Islamists have tried to kill him, and he's killing them. May 14, 2018, the U.S. Embassy was opened in Jerusalem. Oh, that's not just any day, folks. That is a very special day. May 14, 2018, happens to be exactly 70 years to the day from the founding of the modern nation of Israel. What does that mean? Take a look at this coin. This is a coin from the temp, a group that is ready to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount, is Jewish group. This is a coin that they would make as their temple coin or their temple shekel kind of idea for paying your offerings at the temple. The man in the background is Cyrus the Great. The man in the foreground, Donald Trump. Why is he so special to them? After 70 years of captivity, Cyrus the Great says, Jerusalem is yours, and they rebuild the temple. After 70 years of statehood, Trump says, Jerusalem is yours, and they believe they will rebuild the temple there now. Oh, yeah. They view Trump as a Cyrus the Great type character. And what do American evangelicals think of Trump? They call him a Cyrus the Great type character. Oh, wow. We live in very interesting times. Then, through the last year and a half, two years, there's been a war of words with Iran, if you hadn't noticed. Trump warned Iran's Rouhani, threaten us and you will suffer, because Iran likes to say they're going to wipe out the big Satan, the U.S., and wipe Israel off the face of the earth, the little Satan. Evidently, Trump was tired of it. He told them, threaten us and you will suffer. They answered with a picture. You recognize the White House. You recognize this guy? You've seen his picture all over the news in the last week. Soleimani. He's commander of the Al-Quds Force. He claims to have 100 terrorist cells in the United States. He's just called in a strike. The, U, the, cap, the White House is hit. The U.S. flag is falling. And over here it says, we will crush the USA under our feet. That was their answer to Trump. A little later on, 
the Middle East is not any more stable. Two nightmares are hovering over the Middle East and they risk turning into devastating realities. One involves Saudi Arabia, the other Egypt. Both face possible collapse due to a mix of foreign meddling, internal contradictions, and most of all, their government's blind policies. And since then, Saudi Arabia is basically somewhat stabilizing, and Egypt is really, really beginning to fall apart. I can't go into that for time reasons now, but it's really happening. Again, as Daniel 11 predicts. Uh, The Pope goes to the Middle East. Here's... The Atlantic Monthly's subtitle to this article, The Meaning of the Pope's Historic Visit to the United Arab Emirates. What has changed in brief is the dual rise of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamic State. They all want their capital in Jerusalem. The following analysis applies equally to the Emirates and to Saudi Arabia. Facing direct challenges, the Gulf states calculated they could no longer appease Islamists and should instead crush them. That is precisely what they have done both in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia. The institutional authorities of Islam and the political authorities with which they are aligned have just bought themselves an institutional ally. Ha! They're allies with who? The Pope. If not a theological one, whether the alliance keeps the theological barbarians at bay is another question. And we have Muslim nations officially becoming allies of the papacy against radical Islam caliphate followers. And folks, I am just watching Daniel 11 and I can't figure out why people don't wake up. China is is not killing, but well, they're killing a few, but they're imprisoning millions of Muslims. And the Mohammed bin Salman, the leader of Saudi Arabia says that's okay because they're not good Muslims. Oh, As I told you, there is a big break going on, and it's not Sunni Shiite. It's radical, non-radical. Then Trump was, again, tired of more threats from Iran. He says, if Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran. Never threaten the United States again. Does this start adding meaning to events of this last week? Here was Iran's response. They started attacking... uh, friends of the United States in different ways. Through proxies, they weren't really Iranian, except they were all armed and trained by Iranians. So the Menai's Al-Quds force. And uh, here was their picture. These are ships that are sinking all over the Persian Gulf. Uh, They have American or Israeli flags on them. This is a Palestinian headscarf. Anybody you know where that is? Do you know what the Iranians are saying with this picture? Do you know what the source of this conflict is? This is from the Al-Quds force, the Jerusalem force, folks. They're after the United States and Israel. The Palestinian issue, they're supporting the Palestinians with their Shiite, I mean Sunni and their Shiite. Why? Because they want Jerusalem, Al-Quds. I mean, their own artwork is very telling here. You know, their theology, it's coming through the artwork. Then Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed in October. The Caliph, they named a new one, nicknamed the Professor. I'm not as concerned about them. 
Because Turkey, Erdogan wants to be the caliph. Iran's leadership wants to be the caliph. That's even more important. So, but we have end time radical caliphate in progress since 2014. You go from one to another, that's not a problem. But radical Islam has risen. January this year, that's not that long ago, we had the U.S. Embassy attacked, right? The Iranian Quds Force was behind it. And uh, then there's a U.S. airstrike. The commander of the Al-Quds Force is killed. Defense Department said it killed Soleimani because he was actively developing plans to attack the American diplomats and service members in Iraq throughout the region. Several years ago, there were books printed that explained how Soleimani was the one behind the Benghazi attack as well. This is nothing new. This guy's been at it for a long time. Last a week or two back when the U.S. Embassy was attacked in Baghdad, uh, there were slogans written on there, Soleimani sent us. And so Trump decided that's the end of Soleimani. And he died. It also accused Soleimani of approving the attacks on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad earlier this week. Soleimani led the paramilitary Revolutionary Guards or Jerusalem Force. AP finally came out and said it. I didn't see it in any of the other news stories, but in two of AP stories, they said Al-Quds or Jerusalem Force. The media is still pretty much hiding things from you. This afternoon, I will show you why. Ayatollah Khomeini made a rare appearance at a meeting at the government's National Security Council to lay down the parameters for any retaliation. It must be a direct and proportional attack on the American interest, he said, openly carried out by Iranian forces themselves. No more proxies. Iran will carry out the attack themselves. And they did. What was that, Wednesday? That they did that? This was the Drudge Report when the attacks were happening. Drudge Report is a, is a news page that just gives headlines from around the world. And you can click on them to see what's going on in all these different places. Each one of these is a link that would take you to a news story. It's war. Iran launched missiles at the United States bases. Uh, Iran says fierce revenge has begun. It starts a second round, Operation Martyr Soleimani, uh, and there's an urgent meeting going on at the White House. Do you realize how close we came to this being true? If any Americans would have died on any of those bases that were hit, there would probably have been a huge military response from the U.S. But either in, on purpose or accidentally, the Iranians didn't kill anybody with those attacks, other than shooting down an airplane of innocent civilians. It's kind of like the Cuban Missile Crisis. It came really close. But I have a question. 
Does radical Islam still want Jerusalem? Yeah, that hasn't changed in the slightest. What appears to change for a moment is Iran decided now may not be the time to push any further. But you need to know one more thing about their theology. They believe that the final holy war will be won by God and Islam will conquer the world, but they have to, it will happen in a time of chaos and they believe they have to start the chaos. They don't have to be able to win it. They just have to start it and God will win it for them. And so anything like this, it doesn't mean that they're going to stop because they think they're going to lose. One of these days, if they think they can pull it off and cause enough chaos, they will go for it. They're just trying to gain a little more power before they go for the chaos. Here's their goal. If it's Iran that leads it, if they can get a war started in the Middle East that is about Israel and Gentile crusaders in the Middle East, then the Sunni Arab Muslims will join them to conquer Jerusalem al-Quds. That's what they're really after. And so that risk continues, if not greater. So we're hanging right here in this conflict, and once it blows, it could be done really, really fast, like a whirlwind, as it says. Then you have this greatest evangelistic of all time. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. News from the east and the north, the good tidings come from Edom, Moab, and Ammon, from the east. These are the ones that escape. It comes from the north. God has a remnant out of Babylon, the king of the north, doesn't he? Revelation, God calls this remnant out of papal-led Christianity. God calls this remnant out of Islam, those that are coming together to form his true Israel. And guess where they're going to get caught? In the middle. If there's a battle between radical Islam and papal-led Christianity, if you love both sides, where are you going to be? In the middle. Ever had some good friends of yours go through a really messy divorce? What happens to you if you love both of them and support both of them? Oh, it's not a very fun place to be, is it? That's what's going on in our world. So here's what I see. Radical Islam goes down. God's people take a stand for him. And then Jesus stands up. You see, he gets the world's attention, gives them the last warning message, and only then does he close the judgment. That's a God of love that doesn't want to surprise anybody by the close of the judgment. He wants everybody to have all the information they need to take a stand. Now, very quickly, I'm going to cover Ellen White in this. Some people say if Ellen White did not explain a future conflict between Islam and Christianity, it has no prophetic importance. Ellen White, one of the three primary founders of the Adventist church. Huh, no prophetic importance. She didn't say that. That's what some people say. Here's what she said. I think that has more credibility. The time has come for who? Daniel, to stand in his lot. Oh, the phrase stand in his lot? Daniel chapter 12. You know, eleven, twelve, 12, the prophecy we don't focus on too much? 
The time has come for the light given him to go to the world as never before. If those for whom the Lord has done so much will walk in the light, their knowledge of Christ and the prophecies relating to him will be greatly increased as they near the close of this earth's history. 1899, according to Ellen White, did we understand all there is to know about Daniel? There to be a great increase in Daniel, right? In understanding it. And it has some, the hint is, it's that last part when he stands in his lot. So get this, in 1899, she's already written the book Great Controversy. That last bit is not in her book. It's not in the pioneer's writings. Where are you going to find it? Daniel, that last part. There's going to be a great increase. She said this, I was shown the inhabitants of the earth, the utmost confusion, war, bloodshed, privation, want, famine, and pestilence were brought in the land. As these things surrounded God's people, they began to press together. Suffering, perplexity, privation caused reason to resume its throne. There seemed to be a little time of peace. Notice, God's people are sleepy. They're all involved in their stuff, their sports, and everything else. What's he going to do to get their attention? It's going to be a lot of trouble. Here's what I'm telling people. Do you like your stuff? Then use it to share the gospel or you're going to lose your stuff. He's going to get your attention. And once he gets your attention, there's a little time of peace so you can do the work that you're supposed to do. Once more, the inhabitants of the earth were presented before me. And again, everything was in utmost confusion, strife, war, and bloodshed, with famine and pestilence raged everywhere. Other nations were engaged in this war and confusion, and then men's hearts filled them for fear. That's what happens when Jesus comes. So take a look. You have a time of war that gets people's attention. You have a time of peace that gives a loud cry, the last warning message. Michael stands up. You have the seven last plagues, and Jesus is there. That matches what she said. Two more references. The God who gave Daniel instruction regarding the closing scenes of this earth's history will certainly confirm the testimony of his servants as at the appointed time they give the loud cry. All the messages are given from 1840 to 44 are to be made forcible now for there are many people who have lost their bearings. The messages are to go to all the churches. The message was given and there should be no delay in repeating the message for the signs of the times are fulfilling the closing work must be done. A great work will be done in a short time. Remember, he gives us a short time to do our work. A message will soon be given by God's appointment that will swell into a loud cry. Then Daniel will stand in his lot. She's got that there again. To give his testimony. Hmm. So this last part of Daniel is going to be a part of a repeat of the Millerite 1840-44 message. And it's going to happen while stuff is happening in front of our eyes. Okay, what does she mean by 1840 to 44? This is great controversy. At the very time specified, Turkey, which was Islamic, through her ambassadors, accepted the protection of the allied powers of Europe and thus placed herself under the control of the Christian nations. The event exactly fulfilled the prediction. She's talking about Josiah Litch predicting the fall of the Ottoman Empire in 1840, and it happens. All right, she goes on. When it became known, the fulfillment of what Litch said, Multitudes were convinced of the correctness of the principles of prophetic interpretation adopted by Miller and his associates, and a wonderful impetus or power was given to the Advent movement. Men of learning and position united with Miller both in preaching and in publishing his views, and from what? 1840 to 44, the work rapidly extended. 
Let me unpack that for a moment. 1840, you have a fall of Islam. It gives power to a prophetic movement, the Millerite movement. It pronounces the, proclaims the judgment and the coming of Jesus, but Jesus didn't come. Daniel 8 through 11 shows there's going to be a repeat. Revelation 10 shows there's going to be a repeat. And Ellen White's talking about a repeat. This is going to be repeated, okay? We have a fall of Islam. We have a prophetic movement, the loud cry. It proclaims the end of the judgment, and Jesus does come. Would that not be a repeat? Wow. It's all there. So, I think it's time to take Jesus and the Bible seriously. Are you putting Jesus and his word number one in your life? If not, man, to me, it's really time to do that. I also suggest it's time to study Daniel 11 and 12. Now, you're going to get a little bit more of this study. Uh, I don't remember when I'm coming back for a meeting here. When is it? Into March. Okay. Uh, we'll be doing that, and I hope you're going to be inviting friends. Share with others. Man, they're books, tracks, videos, you can send them to our website. Most of all, be talking about this. Have you heard anybody talking about Iran recently? If you haven't, where have you been? Uh, when you hear somebody talking about Iran or the Islamic conflict or, any of the, or the Pope or any of these things, why don't you just come up with would you like to know how that fits in Bible prophecy? We're having a meeting of our church to talk about that. Every day, ask the Lord, give me an opportunity, if you want me to, give me an opportunity to share something and to say, Lord, if I hear anybody talking about those subjects, I'm just going to give them a little invitation. Let him open the doors if you're afraid to do it. Challenge him. You open the doors, Lord, I'll just share a little bit of information. See where it goes. You say, you don't have enough information. So, share what you got. If you don't have every answer, why not share the answers you have? Do you think anybody in this room has all the answers? No. Nobody does. Do you know what I know? When I share what I know and I get challenged by something I don't know, it's God telling me what to look into next. That's just the next thing to learn. So that's good news too. So go for it. Uh, also, I think it's time to be praying. I think we're already into this one. Then the loud cry, the greatest evangelistic opportunity of all time, and Michael stands up. Starts putting a new twist on some things, doesn't it? People ask me, how long is this whirlwind going to last? I would suggest that from where we are now until the coming of Jesus Christ could easily be completed in less than a year. Easily. Will it? I don't know. I don't know when God's going to say full blast ahead or stop. I will say you need to be ready to be done and out of here in a year. I would also say even the younger ones in this room need to be ready to die of old age first. Because God could put a hold on it. He's been known to do that. So which is it? I don't know. But if you're not ready for both of those, you're not ready. And I'd rather see us out of here in a year. End of pain and suffering. End of all this garbage. That would be fantastic. 
And if you're thinking, I'm not sure about that, you need to have a good talk with Jesus. Is Jesus number one in your life or not? It's time to make sure he's number one. And then you don't have to live in fear because Jesus will be with you. Good news. Jesus dies in verse 22, which is right in the middle of 45 verses. Jesus knows what it's like to be caught in the middle. He was there. He's with his people caught in the middle. And at the end of it, he delivers his people that are caught in the middle. If you're fully in love with Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of this. Because he's with you. And there's so much good news in this thing. And uh, we've got DVDs and stuff on our website. But you can go to our website. You can take friends to that website. And they can watch presentations right there even. You've got friends all over the world. Send them there. Um, they can watch it from there. The good news is the live one will be more current and we'll have interaction. And that's a lot more fun. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is coming again. And Lord, wake us up and help us to stand for you right in the middle and love everyone on all sides. In Jesus' name, amen.